Leaders, what keeps you up at night? Welcome to The Sweet Spot, the podcast series that expands the traditional term of what a boss is to tackle some of the most important issues in business. From business as usual and growing your market to everyday leadership issues or handling one in 100 year events, we aim to provide ongoing inspiration and education for CEOs, founders, management, shareholders and leaders of every stripe. The sweet spot is the future of work and business. Hi, I'm Emily Spartanak. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Rachel Kelly, an ex-scientist, strategist, high-tech product developer, and commercialization professional who has spent the last 19 years in the science and technology sector. After spending nine years in California working within biotechnology and high-tech manufacturing, she returned to New Zealand in 2014 and has since been heavily involved with stimulating the regional and national technology ecosystem. Rachel has worked with award-winning and innovative tech startups including Co-Hired and Nereid, co-created a world-class enterprise product house at Galahad Security as Chief Product Officer and offers product and tech advisory to a number of high-value New Zealand tech startups currently in stealth mode. She's the co-founder of the Waikato Technology Cluster, former Deputy Chair of New Zealand Tech and is also an elected member of the New Zealand AI Forum Executive Council and a Ministerial Advisor on the Digital Council of New Zealand. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today and being on the sweet spot. Um, You're quite a powerhouse um, and an inspiration. And um, I'd really like to talk about your journey that you've been on in terms of developing healthy artificial intelligence and what that is and now what normalizing honorable authenticity is and how that is connected for you. So without further ado, <laughs> um, can you maybe give our listeners a bit of a intro to who you are, what you do, what your mission is, and um, I'll hand over to you. Well, thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be here with you. It's been a couple of years since our paths connected, so it's actually a delight to see our orbitals just sort of realign. Uh, and, you know, I appreciate you reaching out and um and be interested in, in this, this story. So, uh, yeah, I've, I'm a bit of a um, wild card. I've been in the science and technology sector for around 20 years now and um, really bridging a whole uh, gambit of, of disciplines. So from things like uh, life science, biochemistry, chemistry, forensic toxicology. Um, I went into pharmaceuticals for a short while, for about a year, when I just found I couldn't wear a lab coat and punch, <laughs> punch buttons on huge machines and look at mass spectra for any longer than I was. And uh, then I went over to the US and worked for a high-tech manufacturing biotechnology company. So I was there for uh, nine years and I, and I was involved with sales and marketing and international distribution management. And then funnily enough, went into e-learning um, because they wanted me to try to replicate the success that I had been um, getting by just showing up, doing the work, keeping humans and people at the center of what I do. Uh, and they wanted me to replicate that across the entire sales force. So I did uh, this whole e-learning journey platform, you know, platform journey. And, um, and then I came back to New Zealand. And then, um, yeah, since then I've been involved quite heavily in the startup scene. So very much in the space of 
um, IoT or Internet of Things wearables, uh, software as a service, platforms as a service, uh, exascale computational storage, um, learning way more about kernel space and and how GPUs and CPUs and ones and zeros all piece together. And then now landed at Galahar, where I am chief product officer within their security division, taking care of enterprise solutions. So for me, this whole journey has been really around keeping people safe and trying to protect um, and you know, create environments in which people can really become uh, who they're born to be, to unlock their full potential and to solve really, really big problems globally. And um, in my toolkit, I use technology. Technology isn't the point. That's just a tool that is a part of solving big problems. And uh, really, that's the space that I'm in right now. Wow, that's quite diverse. And it sounds like you're not afraid of a bit of a challenge and in going into all these different spaces and probably it gives you a different perspective. I'd really love to just piggyback onto that notion of keeping people safe and, and allowing them to really reach their full potential. And how does that in the space of sort of healthy artificial intelligence, what does that actually mean? Mm. It's, it's a word that sounds for people that still see artificial intelligence as something quite new or something that could be quite daunting. It's, okay, is it self-driving cars? Are we going to suddenly be starring in iRobot? Um, what does it actually mean? And how do, you, how do you keep people safe and healthy through AI? Yeah, that's the billion dollar question and certainly <laughs> something that I'm working towards. So uh, to the point that I, wa I want to just be really clear that artificial intelligence, again, is just a tool and uh, it isn't the point of of the, the journey, I don't think. It is part of us trying to solve problems in a way that is hopefully scalable and honourable and can really help to unlock the power of um, computation in a way that isn't our brain. So it's, you know, trying to leverage the ones and zeros, the, the, the technology that we have to be smarter, better, um, learn, you know, that learns and helps us grow and gives us augmented intelligence. So it's a partnership rather than a replacement. So I think when we think about artificial intelligence, you've got, you know, your current sort of, you know, if then and then leaping statements, and then you have your general AI, which really is the, the fully autonomous, self-learning, um, you know, fearful space that, that people lean into when they think of iRobot or some of the other type of Terminator behavior. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the interesting part is uh, for us to get there, we do need to learn how to understand what a life form or um, a being is or should be, whether it be organic or artificial. And I, I often reflect upon our organic intelligence and then artificial intelligence And if we can't figure out and do the organic stuff right, who are we to try to birth and build an artificial one? Mm. And, uh, you know, if we don't start stepping back and saying, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to just learn fundamental things like how to be kind, how to invite others' opinion and, and, and honor their space and place that they've come to that opinion, which does not mean it's fact and does not mean that 
you know, you should get angry at that person. It's like we're all colourful human beings with different tapestries of life that all have very human triggers, uh, you know, when we're in really uh, stressful situations. How do we ensure we don't build all of that human trigger to, you know, be greedy or to to potentially harm or whatever it might be into the artificial life that we're birthing. And, um, you know, I've talked about a lot that technology is really our mirror. Uh, and when it comes to things like ethics, general morality, how do we build in the right type of ethics and morality? Is there a right, is there a right version? Um, I would say no. <laughs> uh, again, that's a sliding scale. It's a spectrum. And so... When we have someone in Russia trying to create an artificial intelligence versus someone in India or China or the UK or Australia or New Zealand, what do they build in? How do they, how do they build in the norms of behavior? How do they acknowledge that, uh, you know, we are fundamentally flawed? Our cultures also give us different lenses. So how do we build in morality? How do we build in behavior? Uh, what is acceptable? What isn't? Uh, how do we give people the choice uh, to be exposed to those types of artificial life forms? Um, and then equally, how do we approach it, again, in more of an augmented uh, fashion rather than a replacement fashion? Uh, and repercussions should something get out of control, much like in the real world, right? We have the police, we have peer pressure, we have all sorts of things. In the digital world, how are we emulating the same type of accountability through, you know, digital sentinels or, you know, cyber police or, um, you know, digital peer-based de-ranking that, that basically loses, creates a, a sort of a lossless environment for an AI to stop learning because it's not being supported by its digital peers like there's a whole bunch of interesting things that we can start look at yeah so is that something that is already being done and looked into and is it something that tech minds across the world is there a lot of collaboration in the field is there sort of a do you see New Zealand with a potential to be a leader in the field I don't know enough about this which is why I'm so excited to be talking to you today how does it look in terms of okay you clearly have this understanding of okay well how do you acknowledge ethics and morality and not have the technology work in a harmful way and how do you prevent people in an organic way from possibly taking advantage of what we don't know or what we haven't anticipated in a way. Is there potential? Is there already collaboration happening? How is it that there's sort of an ideal space you would like tech in New Zealand or tech in general to move into? How, how does the space look? Yeah, so there's so many forums that have been established a number of years ago or are popping up. And that's sort of more on the global scale around accountability, transparency, fairness. Uh, there's a, a large number of, whether it's not-for-profit or, um, you know, socially-minded organ organisations or arms that are looking into a lot of these areas. And we can certainly include a number of my favourites in the, the show notes. Uh, but yes. all you need to do is really Google search or or whatever your preferred search engine is uh, on AI ethics principles or um, 
There's a particular organization called Partnership on AI. There's also the New Zealand AI Forum that is uh, also working quite uh, deeply into this space. And um, I'd imagine there are a number of very smart people working uh, to create uh, neural nets, perhaps, that help protect people uh, from uh, dark AI in the future. I've certainly got some pretty... Uh, crazy, or what my friends and, and family and colleagues uh, mentioned crazy ideas on how we could emulate or mimic organic constructs into the digital space. And um, but a lot of these things I'm I'm working on in the background, um, all through Galaha and and the work that we're doing to try to uh, keep people and and things they care about safe and secure. And then reimagine what the future of safety and the feeling of safety is like uh, when we when we actually create solutions. So uh, it's all kind of happening happening concurrently across multiple channels, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next five years to see how it all comes together and aligns, or helps to support the the, the journey towards that healthy artificial intelligence space. Oh, that's incredible. And um, I'd quite like to touch um, on what you just said with Gallagher. And because in the sort of, I think most Kiwis see Gallagher more as a, okay, well, this is your one-stop shop for anything animal and farm technology related. How does your mission and all you've spoken about, about this fascinating space of keeping people safe and creating um, artificial intelligence that in, in my mind and how I'm understanding it goes much more beyond that anything we can currently imagine really. How how does that fit in and how I presume you have a team you're working with. Can you shed some light on on that kind of aspect of your work? Yeah, absolutely. So it's quite a common misnomer or at least just misunderstanding that Galaha is really only sort of in the animal management space, namely because most of the time you think about farming communities, um, electric fences, uh, animal control or management and things like that. But they do actually have three divisions. Uh, the first being animal management, the second being fuel or energy, and then the last one being security. Uh, and it's ultimately bubbling down to how do we keep our future safe, whether it be through our livelihood with animals and the, and the supply chain that we provide the, the global market, whether it's being through, you know, fuel where you're trying to protect the environment and ensure that you're doing really smart things to um, lower the emissions or improve efficiencies of fuel pumps or energy initiatives. And then, of course, security, which is the more blatant mechanism to keep people secure. It is the effort to keep people and things they care about safe and secure. And so it all really does bubble down to, again, keeping the future safe. Mm. which they're working to improve upon their messaging um, because that's sort of just how everything is sort of aligned or starting to align as, as time moves onwards. But within my team, uh, I've got an amazing team of um, products and people champions. Uh, I've actually been move, moving more to the word human champions because there's a lot of humans on our loop, so on in or beside our loop of security. So I've been uh, really questioning or, or prompting my team to be passionately curious about how we reimagine what safety feels like to the humans that are a part of our journey. And so that could also mean internally of Galaha, what is it like to build code that keeps people safe? 
right? Do they mm-hmm. do, do our software engineers fully understand what this means to a person who is entering a building um, in Saudi Arabia? Like, it's trying to actually get them to all be curious about how what we build affects a human. And the, the term in, on, or beside the loop um, is quite a, an artificial intelligence um, saying, but I'm trying to bring that into the team around the feeling and essence of safety and how we imbue and embody that in the solutions and products we develop. And so that passionate curiosity is what I keep triggering to my team. You know, what would it what would it be like to have an eleven star human experience when it comes to the feeling of security when you think about entering a space? And um, some of the things that we're doing, we're doing some pretty cool initiatives. So I have got a bunch of ten year olds coming on site in around three weeks, and you know, just to ask them, what does safety feel like to you? What, is it, what does it feel like to have cameras pointing at you, right? Mm. Um, and to what circumstance do you trust the things around you to keep you safe? And just to really with innocent eyes, um, without all the biases that us sort of adults have, how can we start to really unpack what that really means? And to the point that that is our goal, that is our mission. It isn't about product, it's around feeling, and how does the how do the tools that we implement or design or or deploy on a site or in the ether actually help to support that journey uh, as as we we build a, a world class product house? That's actually quite beautiful to just understand that notion of a cowl. It all comes back to the people and to mm-hmm. the humans. Yes, and um, certainly that sense of, okay, well, we are focusing on that human connection, on that base level of, okay, well, how do we want our world to look? What mm. do we want our children's world to look? And and working towards that instead of having that focus on, okay, well, let's work faster, better, stronger, make more money, build bigger, higher, and actually bringing it back down to that, as you say, feeling and how does it feel to be safe how does it feel to live in a world that is enjoyable and lasting yeah and delightful right where um, yeah. we don't hurt we don't come out to harm anybody we're we're all trying to live our lives we're all trying to be comfortable we're all trying to find happiness and uh, you know how do we we make that path delightful and you know there's this there's a number of real gems that I've picked up over the years and um, I have sort of three key um, drivers for me and that's uh, people, product, and then profit in that order. Mm. And as long as we take care of our people or, you know, as I like to be more broad around humans, so it's actually looking at all the behavioral psychology elements, growth, um, context, community, right? How do we take care of the people? And then how do we build delightful products that just, you know, solve real big problems? And then if you do those two things right, the, the profits will come. It's that that social proof almost where you you have that sense of, okay, well, more often than not, I find that if a product is advertised in a way that feels very salesy and it's just presented in a way where you, where you know, okay, well, this is literally just made for profit. This is not supposed to be something that will bring joy or something that will last. It's just for the sake of making money. It's transactional, so, right? It's a transactional yeah. approach. Yeah. Something that I find resonates quite um, 
heavily with me when you talk is just your focus on being human, being authentic and forging that path of what can the future look like, thinking way out of the box and and going for it. And um, earlier you said, oh, having those crazy ideas. Well, people need to think creatively um, to innovate. And you certainly are an innovator. I've read your LinkedIn post about um, that leaning into honourable authenticity and really leaning into how you see the future and how you see yourself, how you express yourself. Um, can you talk a bit more about your journey in in the predominantly male-dominated industry that is tech and um, going from growing balls to actually leaning into your um, honourable authenticity and just what that journey looks like for you? Mm, wow, you just went there and unpacked a whole bunch. <laughs> uh, you know what, there's... I've reflected a lot, as you can imagine, from the unmasked executive uh, set of stories and articles. And uh, a lot of it uh, came to a head last year where I just felt I, I got myself into a space where I wasn't designing my life anymore. It was by default. And there were so many things that over time I had just by small decisions at every step, slowly eroded sort of the sense of true north around who am I and what will I accept in my life? And, you know, there's a lot that I would have found humans will accept in their life over time, especially when you get that sort of scope creep uh, around the, the the core belief systems you might have within what's right or wrong. And again, everybody has a different construct of what is right and wrong. All I can talk to is, is my experience as a young woman growing up in the technology world. But I, I will say that um, there, there is this tension between the erosion that takes place in your spirit and soul while you're being interrupted, chastised, put down, called names, um, and basically just pushed into a little box that others think you should be in because of your gender or age or whatever the case may be into your specific variable here. <laughs> and also the confusion around, you know, you look at movies and, and you sort of reflect upon who should I be? You know, what, what, what am I emulating? Particularly if you've got sort of no real mentors or... Um, people you feel you see in an authentic space of who they are, right, to, to look up to or to, you know, create your watermark or, or you know, example of what success should look like or how you should behave. And I think this whole journey has been around wanting to become the person I wish I had growing up. And... I didn't find that myself and I don't want other young women to not find that. It's enough. Like we don't, yeah. we don't need to play games anymore. I've, I've had enough. And I think young women out there should have had enough of not having really strong, authentic um, women to, to look up to who can be both 
kick-ass entrepreneurs, wickedly smart, right? Kind, thoughtful, articulate, powerful, beautiful in their own way, soft, without losing their ability to command. And all of these things that seem like they're ju- you know, juxtaposed between these norms of what a successful woman should look like versus someone who perhaps stays at home and is this nurturing mother or wife that keeps her, her housemates happy. And it's like, why is there these two extremes? And why can't you be both in the right context and still be equally accepted? And so part of this unmasked executive journey is to finally say that there should not be a professional and personal world. You are who you are because of both. And you shouldn't be afraid to be either. And, uh, you know, what's been beautiful is, uh, you know, I thought I lost the job at Galahad during my, you know, multiple interviews. And, um, you know, that's a really long story and it will be unpacked in one of the future uh, articles. But it was really around aha moments on what I had done to push my own self down to become what others thought I should be. And even in my profiling, right, we were looking at the profile and there's, you know, a variety of, um, you know, like six sets of pairings between like aggressive or nurturing, you know, all these sort of very extreme sets of, of, of attributes about yourself. And um, in this particular profile, I was 100% aggressive competitive and zero nurturing. And I thought, that's not me. That's not me at all. And... And they, they asked, you know, is there something going on in your life that might have uh, biased these results? And I said, well, I'm having a really tough time in my current workplace. It's incredibly toxic. No one listens to me. Um, a whole bunch of things are going wrong. I try to stand up. I try to lean in. I try to speak up for the stakeholders. And I just get pushed back down. But I have to be aggressive. Otherwise, no one hears me. And then... And then at the same time, I said, well, I'm also, I'm also separating from my husband. And they were like, Bruh. and they said, no, you, yeah, you've definitely been under stress, <laughs> which at the time I, yeah. I thought I was handling it really well. Um, that's a whole nother part of the, the unmasked executive is, is how my high performer brain completely disregards my body. And when my body is incredibly stressed, I'm like, oh, I'm just still going to go because my brain's just next, which is where some of the, you know, the diagnostics and things have really helped become my mirror to more holistic and integrative health. That's a whole different ball game, which is where the unmasked executive is going. Um, but getting back to, to the interesting um, dichotomy is it wasn't until that moment when I realized, wow, I and putting myself into these little boxes without even realizing it. And then my my boss now, who is an amazing leader, he said, I want you to show up as your authentic self. Which for a person, I hadn't gotten the job yet, but as a part of that interview, he said, I want you to show up with your, you know, in your authentic self. And I'd never been asked to do that. I hadn't even asked myself to do that. And to have a leader and a future boss, you know, urged me to just show up as me. I was, I just was like, what is happening here? What part of the universe is suddenly opening up and saying it's okay to be me? 
I don't need to wear these masks anymore. Everything you've just said, it's enough is enough. And when you when you lose sight of how you think you want to live your life and who you want to be, who you know you are and how you think you should be and should be the perfect housewife, be the perfect boss, be on at all times and never show a crack in the facade. It's it's hard work. It really is. And should is a dangerous word. If you find yourself saying should, that 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 will be something for you to pick up and take notice. Whoa. Who said I should? Who made these rules? Oh, just I'm processing in it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's all, it's such powerful stuff and it's so courageous and it's so authentic. It's not aggressive because it's not aggressive in any way, but it's just that clear sort of knowledge and okay, well, I'm not going to be anyone but myself and having that backing to be yourself. Is there anything that looking back now, you would say to yourself that you think would go, okay, well, you know, you're a 20 something uh, young woman or doesn't even have to be a woman, just young professional trying to find their way, trying to, you know, work their way up in the ladder and do the thing to be successful or what they think is successful. How do you, looking back now, is there something where you say, actually, think when you go down that road, think a moment and, and really change that behavior? Or is that, is it just something where there has to now be a general wider societal shift um, for people to feel like they can be themselves and they don't have to fit into those boxes? Do you think it's something that comes from within? It comes from somewhere else? Is it a combination? Yeah. I think it's a mixture of both, but um, you know, there's a bunch of questions in there. I hope I, I am able to unpack a little bit for you. So a couple of key things I would like to have told myself as a young woman. Um, firstly, as a part of your important journey, you have to go through some of these really hard times to become who you're supposed to be. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. I would go through every heartache, every insult, every moment crying in the bathroom on the floor to know that I become who I am now and that I have the people that I have in my life to make me grow and be better every day. And it is so hard in those moments. It is, it is soul crushing. It is lonely so lonely to be in those spaces and all I can say is those moments are important in creating who you're supposed to be. Now the other thing I wish I had which I didn't and I'm hoping to be for someone is a bit of a mirror like who can you look up to that has you know, created a space to be safe and to have their voice and shine even with all the haters and naysayers and people who are, you know, really sensitive, which I have to say, 
it's okay to be sensitive too, right? You've got your own little tapestry of triggers because of how you were raised or moments of you know your, your journey that that makes something really raw and, and painful if you hear certain words or behaviors. So again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's just, it's just acknowledging that some of these things are mirrors for you to look at and say, huh, let's be curious. Why am I suddenly really angry? Or why does that, that particular thing really upset me? Like what's actually happening? You know, to actually start saying as a part of my growth, I need to step back and wonder why I'm being triggered or why, something bothers me. So, sorry, getting back to my point is, um, you know, regardless of, of all of those naysayers, whatever it is, as long as you are following your self-truth, right, the thing that I call your hum, it's the, it's the engine that just hums quietly in the background, it's the song in your heart, it's the thing that quietly whispers when your brain is trying to take over and it says you're better than this you've got more potential stop telling yourself no stop telling yourself you're not good enough you are good enough get up show up do the work follow your self-truth and everything will take care of itself and that's, that's what I wish I had growing up. And with that, I suppose, what has work-life balance looked like for you? Has it been a thing when you've been on this journey um, of trying to lean in? Is it more of a priority now? Is it a priority within the team culture? Or how, how do you see work-life balance fitting into all of this yeah well all I can tell you is my journey to find balance and because I'm classic type a go 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 achiever for varying reasons which we could unpack for the next hour but I we will not <laughs> um I've had to lean into technology to be my mirror like my augmented support to tell me I'm going too hard too fast I need to slow down because my body needs time and a break or rest or whatever it needs because I'll just keep going. Like I'm an energizer bunny with respect to my brain and I often used to say that my body simply exists to carry around my brain. It's all, it, it's all the purpose it was for a long, long time. And um, as a result, I'm pretty sure I've done some pretty, you know, silly things just to keep going and push that of course would mean that you get sick or you know, your body starts to just fail you or you know you get burnout or whatever it might be or you know depression or anxiety right because all that's like a mirror with the whole space that you're in and so part of just a little bit of a heads up around the next uh unmasked executive story as I alluded to, alluded to before is technology has really become like my reality check in a world of distortions, including my own. Mm. And, you know, I, I wear this aura ring, um, O-U-R-A, and it's got diagnostics it's, um, and I wear it constantly. And it's one of my many diagnostics. I have obviously an Apple Watch. I use a thing called Newcom. I have a thing called Muse. And I work with my 
um, health specialists at a, a particular organisation locally here called Tailored Health and Performance. And they work with me to basically keep an eye on all of my diagnostics that says my body is struggling or my brain is struggling. And, um, you know, we're doing a whole bunch of clinical diagnostics around stool testing, urine testing, genetics. Um, I've even done some hormone tests that I'm waiting to hear back from and my genetic analysis was inconclusive the first time around. So I thought maybe I'm, maybe I'm an alien. <laughs> I, I resent it again. Um, I digress. So we're getting all these diagnostics to see how technology can be my toolkit to figure out how to reset or how to find better balance. So I can fight back to myself or I can say to my boss, look, my heart rate variability is so low right now. And my heart rate, my, my um, resting heart rate is gone up 20%. I need a day off. Right. So, so when you're, you know, someone like me, that gives me so much power yeah. and self-empowerment to say, actually, Rach, you need to chill out. <laughs> you need to get a book and sit on the couch and have a couple of days rest. And, and that's something that I've been also doing at work where a lot of my, um, my presentations to the executive leadership team, I actually have my stats in there, which shows, you know, that my heart rate variability has dropped 40% or over the specific time period, my heart rate has increased, you know, the, the beats per minute has increased by 10%. And this is what the trend is. And I'll have, gra- I'll have graphs because I'm, I'm all about quantitative data. How do I measure my success? How do I measure my health? And so having not only tailored health and performance um, help me out, but also having uh, a team and, a, and a, a, a leadership team that is getting used to me starting to bring this stuff into my, my work and my life. Suddenly it's like you can create balance because you can measure what that should look like. And then if you understand what success looks like, then you can sort of set the, the terms of the game, so to speak. Oh, I, I love that. And that notion of also just actually having that, that data to say, okay, wait a minute, this is a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> My blood pressures go through the roof. Maybe it's time to go for a walk or do a meditation mm. and, and just have that accountability in a way yeah through technology it's it's incredible it's it's augmented decision making and all that is is that's exactly what augmented intelligence will be that's that's and is that's what it is it's what it's all about is how do you make better decisions because you finally can read your body better and have some type of measurement of success when it comes to work-life balance and a healthy mind body and spirit and that actually leads quite nicely into my final question for today. Um, and that is um, at Alexander PR and The Contemplates. We talk a lot about the future of work um, with our clients, through our clients and the whole COVID-19 lockdown um, induced changes to our own work lives and those of the people that we do work with um, have made it quite a... Um, timely topic and in terms of all that we've talked about today with the augmented decision making and how technology can essentially emphasize that need of okay how do we innovate while staying ethical innovate and keep people safe 
with that human focus? How do you think that the future of work might look like um, with that in mind and what needs to happen to get us there? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think a lot of this comes down to stepping back and saying, what does success look like for a company, for a team, for an individual? Because if you don't know where you're going, how do you know if you've gotten there? <laughs> so a lot of this sort of future of work, what's been fascinating, and I've been, I've been fortunate to work at some pretty remarkable companies in the past and currently, and then as, as equally as some ones that have some really toxic reality distortion fields that I've spoken about in the Unmasked Executive. But what I have learned from the really good ones and has reiterated from the toxic ones is if you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter what you do because you're not going to get there. And I think there's a Winnie the Pooh kind of saying, which I cannot remember, but it's something <laughs> to that effect. <laughs> but so when I think about the future of work, I think about, okay, what, what is the goal? What is the end point? If for a company, the end point is to grow in market XYZ with a Y of blah, like they've, they've got a Y, right? All the other stuff, all the people that they hire, all the roles they, they put in place, all of the the initiatives, the money they spend should all be around those core things. And if you have the right people who are given the right tasks, the right objective that feeds into the company goal, and you give them a way to measure those milestones and those points to get there, then it shouldn't matter where the heck in the world they are, as long as they're doing their job and they're getting the company where they want to go, then who cares? They might work from 1am to 5 and then spend the rest of the day doing whatever they like. As long as they're getting their company goals moving forward, it shouldn't matter. So the, the current way that we've been working is very much in the industrial age where you had a conveyor belt and you had a little time login sheet and it's like, oh, I'm here. Let's swipe that in. And, um, and that's how you logged your productivity and it would have, you know, number of envelopes licked or items boxed. We're in an intelligence age. We're in, in the world where, um, you know, it's no longer industrial. It's now um, mind-based or intellect-based work for the most part. And so we need to stop behaving like a login, check-in, check-out behavior because we don't live, most of us don't live in that old industrial age world anymore so why are we still measuring success the same way so we have the technology we have the tools to work wherever we like a lot of what fails us is old mentalities on what success looks like and the frameworks that companies use to measure it now one of my favorite frameworks is the OKR model and um, one of my favorite team-based sort of profiling is the Gallup Strength Finder model. And between Gallup Strength Finder and OKRs, and there's a couple of amazing platforms that kind of bring it all together, you can just unlock magic with your team. Just unlock it. And it's a thing of beauty. 
when you see in their eyes that they're motivated, they know what they need to do, they've got autonomy, they've got space to thrive and and give every piece of them that that gives them energy, like that invigorates them to actually deliver upon something they have control over. Mm. And when you do all of that, the future of work could be so magical because it's all about the people, right? How do you unlock the people, their performance, acknowledging their health and well-being? How do we how do we lean into the space because we genuinely care not only for the people but also the products you create, the outcome, and then everything else should take care of itself. Assuming you're being smart with other things like you know product market fit or distribution channels or you know environmental sustainability or whatever they might be, but that stuff's just part of I think being a great human. But yeah, thank you so much for your time today. And I feel like I certainly learned a lot. And as I just can't overemphasize, I think you're an absolute inspiration with your courage, your vision, and your drive, and um, just that ability to focus on the human first and then the rest will follow. It's, it's just really inspirational. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Um, if our listeners want to learn more about you, your mission, the work you do, the journey you're on, where should they go? Yeah, so they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, Rachel Kelly NZ, I think is my handle. You'll also find me on Medium. I also have a public um, profile on um, Facebook, which is just the Unmasked Executive. And you can find me on Twitter, Uh, and Instagram as the Unmasked Executive as well. Awesome. And I'll um, put that in the show notes as well. And um, I highly recommend reading the Unmasked Executive. It is, yeah, it's me fangirling all the time, (laughs) but um, it's, it's just really great and insightful. And it just, yeah, makes you think twice about how you approach your own, um, way of approaching work and yourself and um, putting yourself into boxes or not. Mm. So it's, yeah, well worth the read. (laughs) Thanks, Emily. It was so lovely to catch up with you again. Thank you for having me on the show. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Please like, review or share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you'd like to follow us, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn under Alexander PR or follow the links in the show notes below. Until next time, thank you for listening.